Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Pastor Jason. We got to have dinner last night in the Hatch home, and uh, Jason had a surprise dish for me. And so he introduced the dish right before we ate. He said, I bet you never have had mountain lion before. And the truth of the matter is, I had. And he prepared it in New Mexico style where I'm from. He said, well, I prepared it green chili style, and I'd only had it with red chili before. And so we quickly learned that we were going to be the best friends ever uh, last night. Family, I am so grateful to be with you today. So glad to be here. I've heard so many encouraging things about Redeemer Midland, and now being here in person, I see that all those things are true. My son, David Michael, was born with a serious heart defect. And he had been in the Children's Hospital in Dallas, in the ICU for the first month of his life. And we had the first opportunity to remove him from the ventilator. And during that process, as hard as he tried and as much as we prayed, it, it just didn't work. And as they reintubated him and he went back on the ventilator, I remember picking up the phone and calling my mom and begging her just to pray for me because I wasn't sure that I could pray anymore. I had come to this critical turning point in my relationship with God where during the toughest of times that I'd ever experienced, I was either going to turn towards him or turn away from him. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, we're going to learn together how do we turn towards God in tough times. And as we look at this Psalm that David wrote, we're going to see a pattern, a template of ways in which we can turn to God in tough times. We've all been through tough times recently, true? Every single one of us without exception, unprecedented times. And yet this morning, some of you are going through the toughest time in your life. And my hope today is that you would be encouraged, that you would see that in tough times, we can say like the psalmist, my Lord is my reward. Let's pray. And then we're going to look at this psalm together. Father, I am so grateful to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be with family here in Midland, Texas. And thank you for Redeemer Midland. Thank you for the amazing things you're doing for your glory, for the good of this city, through this church. And Father, we we just want to acknowledge as we come before you today that no one, no one is here by mistake. According to the Lord Jesus, you've brought us to this place because you're seeking those who will worship you in spirit and truth. And that's what we want this time to be. Oh, Father, as we just sang, you are good. Would you, as we open up the word through the ministry of the word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, would you confirm in our hearts, you're a good God. You're a God who can be trusted in, you're a God who can be trusted in the most difficult of circumstances. I pray, especially this morning, for those that are hurting, those that are feeling alienated from you, those that are feeling far away, that they would come to you in the name of Jesus and experience your welcome, your tenderness, your warmth. I pray if there's anyone in this room or even online who doesn't yet know you, I pray that they would come to know you through Jesus today. In his good name, we all pray together. Amen. Psalm 16, and we're going to look at how do we turn to God in tough times. We're going to see a structure here 
but I don't want us to look past the substance of that structure. So Psalm 16, let's jump right in. Verse 1, there's a header here, a mitkam of David. We know that David is the author of this psalm. We don't know what a mitkam is. Your guess is as good as mine. Could have been a musical term. Could have been a special Hebrew word for uh, a part of the liturgy. We're not sure about that, but what we do know is what follows is absolutely God's word to us. Verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Refuge. A simple prayer, a desperate prayer. David is simply asking God to keep him, to save him, to preserve his life. And as we see later on in the text, he's not merely only thinking of his physical well-being. He's thinking about himself spiritually. He's crying out to God, God, keep me. God, preserve me. God, don't let go of me. I need you now in this time. And then he declares to God, you're the only place I have to run. You're like this towering castle of a refuge, and I'm going to run to you. You ever prayed a prayer like that? If we look at, the, if we look at David's life through, as recorded in Scripture, there were, there were many instances in his life when he could have written this psalm. We don't know exactly when it happened, but he had many desperate situations where he was facing an issue of life and death, and he was away from his understanding of the presence of God, and he was just crying out to God, Keep me. You're the only one I have to run to. I love simple prayers. I have people sometimes ask me, because I'm a pastor, uh, what, what, what's your prayer life like? What, what prayer do you pray most often? And candidly, my most often prayer is simply this, Jesus, help me. Can you resonate with that? Do you relate to that? So we begin in tough times in turning to God simply through prayer. And prayers of simple desperation are the most beautiful prayers in the ears, in, in, in the ears of God. Preserve my life. Now, He's going to move from this prayer to a profession. It's as if David is preaching to himself. Listen to this. Picking up in Psalm 16, verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, and their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. See how personal this is for David? David says to the Lord, the God over all creation, all creatures, over the heaven and the earth, with all authority, overlooking everything, he says to God, you're my Lord. You're my personal Lord. This is a statement of submission. This is a statement affirming in the midst of his tough times, Lord, you're my master. I'm your servant. It's a statement of submission. It's a, state of, it's a statement of lordship. And then look what follows. As David preaches to himself that the God is his Lord and that he is submitting to the lordship of his God, he declares his loyalty to God's people. Do you see that? In David's way of thinking, there's only two people on the face of the earth, two types of people. There are those that are saints. To be a saint means to be set apart for God. And according to the New Testament, guess what? You and I are saints. Isn't that a weird thought? Like, turn to your neighbor right now and introduce yourself as, hi, I'm Saint Dave. Just go ahead and do that real quick so we can get that out of the way. This is true biblically. I know many of you maybe grew up in traditions where only special people were saints. But according to the Bible, all those who belong to God through Jesus are set apart as God's people for God's purpose, that's what it means to be a saint. 
And David says, I identify with them. These are my people. I love them. As a matter of fact, I delight in them. I remember as we were in the children's hospital there in Dallas with our son, David Michael, God's people just overwhelmed us with love and compassion. Every day we had visitors in the hospital. Our oldest daughter, Lisa, was about a year and a half at the time, and people would take care of her during the day so that Karen and I could spend all hours at the hospital. We, we created a schedule. They, they provided food. I ate more food than I'd ever eaten in my life. and Not just, not just pot yuck food, but I mean actually really good church food. It was incredible. They cleaned our house when we couldn't be there. And God demonstrated his mercy to us in tough times through his people. You going through tough times today? The question I have for you is, are you distancing from the people of God or are you delighting in the people of God? If you're in a tough time right now, let me encourage you with all my heart, don't distance yourself. Draw near. You need the people of God more than you can ever realize, and they need you as well. So in tough times, we come to God with a simple prayer of desperation. God help. God preserve me. You're the only hope I have. And then we profess once again to ourselves, the Lord is our Lord. We are under his rule and his reign, and we are going to be loyal to his people. Now, we're going to walk through a few praises in which David is going to let the Lord know how much he means to him. Verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When we talk about praising God, we talk about worship, what we're saying in essence is God has greater worth than anyone or anything else anywhere. And this is precisely what David is doing here. There's two images. Do you see them? One is of of an elaborate banquet. The idea of a banquet that we gather together to honor somebody, whether it's a special occasion, this is that special meal. And, and David says to the Lord, you're my chosen portion. When I come to this elaborate, expensive, exquisite banquet, you're, you're, the, you're the choice cut of meat, God. You're the prime steak. You're the, you're the steak of meat. And not only that, you're, you're, my, you're my cup. You're, you're the best wine the world has ever known. That's who you are to me, God. And then he moves into the second image, that of an inheritance. And he says about the Lord, oh, my lines have fallen in, 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 in pleasant places. God, you are my inheritance. And what I stand to inherit at the end of this time of suffering is, is you, Lord. Here's the praise that David is communicating. If, if you're taking notes today, feel free to write this down. It's simply this. My Lord is greater than my possessions. That's what David is saying here. He's using terms of wealth, terms of status. And he's saying to God, You're my Lord, and my Lord, you are greater than my possessions. Or if you want to think of it a little bit differently, he's saying very simply, my Lord is my inheritance. Have you come to the realization yet through this pandemic and through the life and death situations that we've all been working through in the past two years that the power of your possessions are very limited? you come to that realization yet? I would guess what little I know of your city with, with boom and bust cycles and, and wealth kind of coming and going at all times, there's probably people in this room who know what it's like to gain a lot and lose a lot and gain it back again and then lose it again. During our stay in the children's hospital with our son, David Michael, we would, we would, we would create a routine. 
to the course of the day. So I'd get up early and be at the hospital before I went to work. I'd go to work, then go to seminary, then I'd come back at the hospital at the end of the day, be there till late at night. And oftentimes my wife would then come to the hospital, spend the night when I would go back home. But there was a time of the day each day when we weren't at home. And one day my wife came home right after that time, and she opened the front door and realized everything in the house was gone. Electronics gone, her jewelry was gone. They even stole the old uh, VHS videotapes of our oldest daughter's baby videos. If you went into my closet, it looked like the changing room at Dillard's on the January 1st sale. Have you ever gone to that sale? Just clothes strewn everywhere. It's as if the burglars had time to walk into my closet and try everything on and take what they like and then leave what they didn't like. And I was probably more offended by what they left behind than what they took. Like, what are you saying about my wardrobe? We later found out that someone had gotten into the, the, the system at Children's Hospital and figured out families lived, and so they were able to break into homes, and there was a systemic organized crime wave going on. And we lost everything. And you know how much it mattered to me? Nothing at all. Because when you're in tough times, you begin to realize my possessions are limited in their worth. I may have all the money in the world, but I can't save my son if his heart defect won't be healed by God. And I might spend my life pursuing, pursuing possessions, but they mean very little in the end when it comes to life and death and a relationship with God. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, you cannot worship money and God. And so there's really only two options in front of us today as followers of Jesus. We can either attempt to use God to worship our possessions, or we can flip the script. We can use our possessions to worship God. In this tough time, as the psalmist has already prayed to God and professed faith in God, he's now praising God to say, even if you take everything from me, Lord, you're my choicest meat. You're my best drink. You are my inheritance. God, you're greater than my possessions. You are my inheritance. There's another praise that follows. Look, if you will, at verse 7. Oh, I love this. This is going to connect very well with what Pastor Jason preached on in Psalm 119 last week. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. As you heard last week, David, the psalmist, loved the Word of God. And as much of the Bible as he had at the time of his life, he enjoyed it. It was his bread. It was his blood. And what he's saying now is the Lord instructs me. When I'm in tough times, I desperately need the instruction of the Lord. He says, he says this to the point of, it's like I, I, I ingest and digest the Word of God. And where it says, in the, in the night, my heart instructs me. Literally, in the original language, my kidneys teach me at night. Isn't that a weird thing? You know, wake up your spouse next time when you have a profound, godly thought in the middle of the night. And say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a lesson from my kidneys tonight. I, I want to share it with you. That's the essence of what the psalmist is saying. In other words, God's Word is so deep within him and such a compassion in the way that he thinks, feels, acts, and speaks. He's saying the Lord instructs him in the night. He emanates the word of God. 
And he says, the result of this, it's like the Lord is in front of me, he's before me, and he's alongside me. He's my constant counselor, and I'm not at risk for going astray in what I believe to be true because of who the Lord is. Second praise that David gives here in the midst of tough times is simply this. My Lord is greater than my perspectives. My Lord is greater than my perspectives, or if you want to think of it this way, my Lord is my instructor. My Lord is greater than my possessions. He is my inheritance. My Lord is greater than my perspectives. He's my instructor. When our son was born, the, the delivery was, was trouble-free, and uh, he was born at Baylor Hospital there in, in, in Dallas. And my wife went to her room, and they took him into the nursery, and it was later at night, and, and she, uh, believe it or not, fell asleep. I don't know how she did. Women, you're amazing. I don't know how you give birth and fall asleep, and like it's no big deal, but that's what she did. And when she woke up, I'd fallen asleep on the, 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 the couch that the husband stayed in on. She woke me up and said, hey, would you go get the baby? They haven't brought him into nurse yet. And when I made my way down to the nursery, they said, sorry, sir, you're going to need to go down to the NICU. So I made my way into the neonatal intensive care unit, and there were doctors gathered around our son's bed looking at him, and he was just heaving. He couldn't breathe. And it wasn't long before they said, there's something going on with his heart. He's not getting oxygenated blood through his body. We're going to have to transport him to Children's Hospital a few, few miles away because they have experts there. And so they loaded him up in an ambulance. They drove him off, and I followed behind him in the, in the car with my father-in-law, and I was so hurt. You ever been hurt by God? You ever been disappointed in God? You ever been disillusioned with God? And part of the problem was that I had this contractual understanding of a relationship with God. My thought went something like this. I'm embarrassed to share this with you this morning, but I just want to be honest. My thought was simply this, God, I will commit to you to going to seminary, serving your people for the rest of the life, and in exchange, I trust you to take care of my family. Give us the money we need. We need to be healthy. We need to live in a safe place. Take care of all those things, and we got a deal. And I was driving behind the ambulance, behind my newborn son, going to Children's Hospital. I kept thinking, Lord, you haven't kept your deal. You haven't lived up to your part of the contract. Now, we know through Scripture that's a false perspective. There's nothing we do to merit favor from God. All the grace of God, all the acceptance of God, all the affection of God that's ours comes solely through the person and work of Jesus. And so there was a perspective adjustment that needed to take place. And through the word of God, I began to realize that everything that I have in my life, everything comes through the hands of a loving God who's for me, who's not withheld anything from me, and has even given me his own son, Jesus. Suffering in tough times have this unique way of helping us understand God's perspective if we're willing to lean into what he has to say through his word. It's as if everything else becomes superficial and our perspectives become challenged and confronted and God loves us enough to lead us in the truth. Are you in a tough time today? If so, are you leaning in on the perspectives of God? You need more than you've ever needed at any point in time in your life a daily dose of the gospel of Jesus. You need to be in God's word. You need to say like the psalmist does here, Lord, you're, you're in front of me 
And you're at my right hand. You're my counselor. You're constantly speaking in my ear. I need you in this place because you're greater than all of my perspectives and some of my perspectives may be off. Now, as we wrap up this psalm, here comes a really big transition. Here comes the resolution. We started out with a prayer. Save me, God. Preserve me. Physically and spiritually, you're the only refuge I have. And then David preached to him and reminded himself of his... David preached to himself and reminded himself of his very own profession. You're my Lord. And there's nothing good in life apart from you. Even the best of life means nothing if it's not enjoyed with you, God. And then he begins to praise God. Here comes the transition. You ready? Therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One seek corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See the transition? Do you feel it? It's so important that when we study these Psalms and we work through them, we not only understand them intellectually at a head level, but they penetrate to our heart and we get the emotion behind it. And the psalmist who started out in a place of desperation now expresses confidence in God. He says, therefore, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've turned to the Lord and I'm going to be okay because he's going to take care of me physically and spiritually. Now that raises a question. If David prayed this kind of prayer and sang this kind of psalm throughout his life, eventually, right, the magic wore off, at least as far as it went to his own physical being, right? We know David died. It's recorded in Scripture. It's captured in history. So what is he talking about here? I'm so glad you asked. Because as we look at the whole of the Bible, there's a guy named Peter who was a follower of Jesus who picks up on what David says here And he shares it with us in a sermon after the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If you have a Bible, turn here. If not, just mark it down and take a look at it later. But let me read it for you. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost to people who are trying to understand who Jesus is. Acts 22. Men of Israel, 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You just imagine how that crowd must have grasped at that time. <gasps> now what? Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. Ready? Here we go. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Psalm 16. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One seek corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter wraps up his sermon this way. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David 
that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. In other words, you can go check out his bones if you want to. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades or Sheol, nor did his flesh see corruption. David's view of what God is going to do as he cries out, preserve me, save me physically and spiritually, is resolved as he gets a prophetic vision of Jesus. David was looking forward to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus to place his hope and his faith in. You and I have the privilege of living 2,000 years on the other side of those events, and we can look back, and just like the psalmist, we can say with great confidence, no matter what we're going through, I am secure. My life is secure, even though I may die in the next few minutes, if I'm trusting in God through Jesus, one day I'll be resurrected, like Jesus was, bodily, physically, and guess what? Even in the face of death, there's no separation from God spiritually, not even for a nanosecond. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel right here in Psalm 16. How do you and I turn to to God in tough times? We do so by trusting in Jesus, that he lived the perfect life that you and I can't live, that he went to the cross innocent, blameless, sinless, and he took upon himself our sin, our blame, our guilt, And he paid the penalty for all that in his own body. And the good news of Jesus is, though he was buried, the grave didn't contain him. He is risen physically, bodily. He's at the right hand of God the Father as we gather together this morning. And one day he'll return and he'll rule forever. And when you and I place our faith in him as a free gift from God, guess what happens? God is for us in every way. The righteousness of Jesus is... is, is our righteousness now. Not only are we forgiven of sin, which is wonderful in and of itself, we are given the righteous standing of Jesus before God the Father. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, we will be too. And because we belong to God through Jesus, even though we die, there will never be an instant in which we're separated spiritually from God. He's with us. So our declaration is simply the same one of the psalmist. I'm going to lean into the presence of God right here and right now because in his presence there is pleasure. And even though I'm incredibly sorrowful and life is hard and it's difficult and there's tough things in front of me, I'm going to lean into the presence of God that I can simultaneously, get this, I can simultaneously be sorrowful and joyful. I can be hurting and in the same moment experience the pleasure of being in the presence of God that's ours through Jesus alone. Have you ever trusted in Jesus? Have you ever come to the realization that the psalmist does here? There's nothing I can do to manipulate God in this instance. There's nothing I can do to merit enough of his favor that somehow he gets me out of this jam. He's relying entirely on God's grace towards him in the person and work of Jesus. Will you trust in Jesus this morning if you haven't done so before? We're going to see baptisms here in just a moment. And the one thing, although the life stories are going to be very different, the one thing you're going to hear over and over again is about the person and work of Jesus. 
Are you a follower of Jesus this morning and you're hurting? And you're at that same turning point I found myself at at the Children's Hospital in Dallas about 30 years ago. Where you're, you're looking at the option of turning away from God. Maybe you've already turned away from God or turning to him. Would you come back to him and Jesus? He's not against you. He's for you. After two months and four days, our son David Michael passed away. Many surgeries, great specialists did everything they could, but they couldn't fix his broken heart. And he passed. He actually passed while I held held him in my arms and they removed the, the life support and he was gone in an instant. And two days later, we buried him at a cemetery in North Dallas. And it was my worst nightmare. I had prayed since I was in eighth grade that God would give me a son that would change the world for him. And when he was born, I thought this was the answer to that prayer, and then he was gone. And I remember as we, we put his little casket in the ground and began to bury it, I remember it being the worst day of my life, but it was also the best day of my life. Here's why. Because I never had experienced before or since the presence of Jesus like I did on that day. Man, he was with me. Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, he walked with me. He sat with me in the funeral and he walked with me as I interacted with grieving family members. And I just have never known his presence to be so sweetly and tenderly and compassionately manifested as it was that day. See, Jesus, my Lord, is greater than my perils. That's the third point. He's my insurance. It's because of who Jesus is and what he did and the goodness of God to offer us favor in Jesus that we can receive by faith that much like the psalmist, we can come to God in tough times. We can turn to him. We can pray to him. We can profess our faith to him. We can praise him and we can enjoy his presence even in the hardest times. Oh, friend, nothing grieves my heart more, and I see it happen so often, than when people are in the toughest of toughest times, they turn away from God. Oh, turn to him. Turn to him. What's our reward for tough times? Our Lord is our reward. In the toughest of times, God makes himself known to us in the sweetest and most profound ways. Don't turn from him today. Trust in him. Turn to him. There's really only three types of people in this room this morning. There are those who are going through the toughest time of their life right now. And my heart goes out to you. And I've been praying for you, even though I don't know you by name, all week. And I'm going to keep praying for you as I leave the next week. Turn to God. Trust him. Pray to him. Be honest with him. You don't need to pray eloquent, elaborate prayers. Simply, help me, Jesus. That's sufficient. Preach to yourself. Remind yourself who he is. He's your Lord. The God of all creation cares about you. He's your Lord. Praise him. He's your inheritance. He's your instructor. He's your insurance. Lean in on him. There's two other kinds of people. There are those who've just come out of tough times. Would you encourage those around you 
than to those of us who are about to embark upon tough times. Tough times come for us all. They do through this whole life. Because in tough times, we have this unique opportunity to trust in Jesus. Will you trust him today? He's good. He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the men and women, the boys and girls of Redeemer Midland. And I know there are people that are listening today that are grieving deeply, that are at that cusp of turning away from you. By the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, turn them back towards you now, Father. Let them know that you are a good father who loves his children. All the acceptance and all the affection you have for your son Jesus is ours. May we encourage one another. May we love one another. May we declare in one voice, our Lord is our reward. May we seek you by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at RedeemerMidland.org.